Hello, everyone. Um, it's really nice to, to be with you this evening. My heart is pounding a bit, but it's a pleasure, pleasure to speak to you all. Um, so today I'm going to speak in, be speaking on Daniel chapter 1. And I know what you're thinking, who's this rookie talking about himself at the front of church? Um, but the theme for today is new beginnings. And um, when I thought about that, I couldn't think of anyone better to talk about than the man that I was named after. Um, so many of you here might be in education, uh, you might be starting at a new university or you've just started an a new academic year. Some of you will have been starting new jobs or you might be returning to the workplace after a stint of working at home. For me personally, I've just done two weeks, my first two weeks at my first proper job and also, I'm going to be a dad for the first time in March. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of new beginnings in the Wyatt household. Um, but in our reading today, there's new beginnings for Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah because they've been taken from their home in Israel and been put on a very different path by the Babylonians. So what I'm going to do in the next 15 minutes or so is just recap the story a little bit and then draw out two main messages that I think are important for us. So what's happening at the start is God's chosen nation, Israel, has been warned again and again and again that the wrong and the injustice that's happening in the land is going to lead to being disciplined by God. And unfortunately, that day has actually come. King Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian army have besieged Jerusalem and they've overpowered it. But what happens next is they implement a, a very clever plan. Um, apparently it was a, a tried and trusted method for emperors who'd conquered lands back in the day. Um, but I think you can see the, the cunning logic behind it. This is what it says in verse 3. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve under the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So what's happening here is they're taking the cream of the crop, the future leaders of Israel, and then they bring them in and they teach them all these things and they give them the king's food and they basically convert them so that they become Babylonians. And this is clever because in five or ten years' time, instead of having to rule by force or rule by the sword, um, they're going to have the, the very leaders of Israel are going to be owned by Babylon and by its king. So you don't get as much trouble. Um, and they do this with this indoctrination program by teaching them all these things. And that starts with a changing of their names, which we see in verse 7. Now, the meaning of the names is actually really important. So their original names are all Hebrew, and they all refer to our God, or Yahweh, whereas their new names all refer to Babylonian deities. For example, my name Daniel means God is my judge, whereas Belthachazar 
um, means Bel protect the king. And Bel is a title for a Babylonian god called Maduk. Or Azariah means Yahweh has helped, whereas his new name Abednego means servant of Nego. So what they're doing is they are seducing these young men with very exclusive treatment and marking them out as special so they can mass produce these Babylonian leaders. And the next step is that they're educated in the culture and the literature and they're to be given a portion of the king's table, his food and his wine. But this is where we get to the crunch point for for Daniel and for his friends. Something about the king's food and the king's wine goes against a commandment of God. Now, I don't know specifically what it is. It could be that some of the food wasn't kosher and it didn't meet the Jewish ritual laws that that they were supposed to um, adhere to. It could be that some of the food and the wine had been sacrificed to idols um, and that made it unclean for them to have. Or it could even be that... um, They didn't want to be indebted to their king by enjoying luxury at his expense. Um, It could be any of those things. But for some reason, there's a conflict between the will of God and the will of their new masters in Babylon. But can you imagine at this point, if you were in this situation, just how tempting it would be to lay low and just kind of get on with it and, and not say anything? Let's kind of sum up the situation that they're in. You've got Israel looks like a thing of the past. It's dead and buried, and it seems like the God of Israel has lost. Secondly, you're in a foreign land. You're absolutely petrified because you're away from home, and you've been taken by a violent oppressor, and you know that they've got no real issue with having you killed. Thirdly, you're surrounded by a load of charismatic young Israelites who are probably your friends, and they're all under the same Jewish laws and commandments that you are, and they're getting on with it and just eating the food and drinking the wine. And finally, and most importantly for me, well, not most importantly, but I can really relate to this, is this is the king's food and the king's wine. So this is the king of the greatest city in the world at the time. Um, It must have smelled incredible. It must have been better than any food that they'd ever tasted in their lives. Can you imagine as well the stir that it would have caused with the other Israelite men when if they were to request different food and drink, they would feel really judged and probably hurt by that. So this was a, a really, a really big thing for them. But this isn't another story where Israel has failed to obey God. Daniel and his friends dared to be different, and they asked permission from their steward to not defile themselves in that way. They, uh, they asked him not to do it, and they were given permission to do a test of 10 days of eating vegetables and drinking water. And in verse 15 and 16, it says, At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. So what can we learn from this historical series of events? The first point I've got out of two is that Daniel's heart belonged fully to God. 
His heart belonged fully to God. Now, for us, it can be very easy to give our hearts over or part of our hearts over to human leaders. Now, that might be your teacher, your tutor, your line manager, or the big boss, or even a peer group, like a peer pressure of, an, of a friendship group. For me, it's very real thinking about the last couple of weeks. The desire to do what I can to impress my new bosses has been immense. Any opportunity to show them that it's been worthwhile hiring me, I'm trying to take it straight away. Um, and their opinion means so, so much to me. If they ever drop a little nugget of praise, then I'm gratefully scooping it off of the floor and gloating about it for a day or two. But even when we're in a Christian context, it can be easy not to fix our eyes on Jesus. I remember a few years ago, I went on a, a Christian retreat, and I knew a few of the people there, a couple of them here tonight. Alex Crane was one of them. If you don't know who that is, he's got Crane on his mask. <laughs> um, and we were staying in these lodges around one, uh, a main building, and there was about eight or nine of us guys in, in one of the lodges. And I remember that on the first evening, we were kind of all milling about in the living area. And we were kind of telling jokes and telling stories and, and basically trying to impress each other because we didn't all know each other that well. Not, not all of us anyway. Um, but because we were trying to impress each other and be the funny one, some of the jokes were just a bit, a bit crude and... Sometimes we were, it was nothing extreme, but sometimes we're making fun of things that aren't really that funny. And I didn't notice at the time, but Alex didn't take part in, in any of that. And when we were walking back up to the main building, um, I was just walking with him, and he just said very gently and kindly, he just said, I don't think that we're called to, to speak like that, to make jokes about those things, or, or to be crude, something, something like that. And uh, he didn't even direct it at me, but it, it, it had a huge impact um, because in a very gentle and very nuanced way, he just, he'd lived distinctively. Um, and that, that was a big thing for me. It made me think, of course we shouldn't have been speaking like that. Of course I should not be doing that in the future. So even when you're with Christians, it can be, it can be easy to take your, take your eye off the ball. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that it's a bad thing to want to make a good first impression. And, and in the context of work and in authority, it says in Titus 3, remind them to submit to rulers and authorities. They should be obedient and ready to do every good thing. But how can we make sure that we are serving God above anyone else? Now, there's the one option, which is to kind of not immerse ourselves in the culture around us and maybe just spend lots of our time with Christians. But as I've just said with the story with Alex, that doesn't guarantee that you're going to give your heart over to God. And it's not what Daniel and his friends did either in the reading. They continued in this program um, and they became the best of all the young men there. And after the three years, they went into service in the king's court. So they didn't, they didn't just exit themselves. They didn't just spend time with each other. They, they took part in all of that. And the other extreme is that we could fully immerse ourselves in our culture 
and just kind of do all the things that everyone around us is doing, but to tell, tell ourselves and comfort ourselves by saying, well, it's the heart behind it that counts. Um, so it doesn't matter what we're doing as long as the heart behind it is, is right. But the problem with that is that our actions, they have consequences, and they have consequences for the people around us and for ourselves. But instead, what Daniel and his friends did is that they, they dared to be different when it came to following the commandments of God. So they still, they still did all the things that they were going to do, but when it came to something where there's a conflict with the will of God, they dared to be different. They asked for permission to go on to water and vegetables, and then they were able to, after the test, freely live in the way that God wanted them to do. So if you are starting something new, you've just started your academic year, you've just started a job, then I want you to have a think about what things you're not going to compromise on like they did. Just have a think or, or make a list in your head what few things are you really going to stick to. Because it's so much easier when you start as you mean to go on. However, there will also be people here who've been in the situation they're in for, for years. Um, but you might be in the situation where, I don't know, there's one or two things that have just slipped in that time that are actually quite important. Or, or maybe you've got a challenge coming up or some new personnel. And I just want to say to you as well that there is no better time than now to give, your, give yourself wholeheartedly to God. So let's read our Bibles and regularly remind ourselves of the things, the few things that are really worth being different for. And that way, when your boss asks you to go and just tell a little fib to a customer, or your mates are saying, trying to convince you to do something that you probably shouldn't do, then you'll be ready and prepared to make the right choice. So there's my first point. Daniel's heart belonged fully to God. My second point is that God had a big influence on Daniel's leaders. So God has influence over your leaders. I think sometimes we can get it a bit twisted in our head and we can think that God's influence is limited to our own sphere of influence. Because we can have quite a strong effect on the people around us like our, our colleagues and our friends and our children. And if we decide to do the right thing in front of them, then it can have quite a big impact. But when it comes to our teachers and our bosses, then we don't tend to have as much of an influence. Or at least it tends to be them that does most of the influencing. But for God, that, that really doesn't matter. He is able to change the hearts and lives of, of anyone, regardless of their position of authority. So when Daniel and his friends decide to do the right thing and not consume the food and drink, God really backs them up. He goes straight away and he, he, um, he gives them favor in the eyes of the officials. So... He's, he's given favor in the eyes of Ashpenaz, the chief official. And this, this is a Babylonian official who doesn't even believe in God. And, and God is influencing him to enable Daniel and his friends to live distinctively. So that's, that's really big. 
But his influence doesn't end there. It goes as high up as it can go. It goes all the way up to the king. Now we know from, from the text that Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, has put himself above the God of Israel, our God. In verse 2, it says, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple. These he carried off, Nebuchadnezzar carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia, and he put them in the treasure house of his God. So this is a big power move from Nebuchadnezzar. He's saying, I have strolled into your temple, taken your holy stuff, and your God did nothing to stop me. He's saying, my gods are bigger than your God. And then to add to that, he leads this whole indoctrination program so that he can have full control over God's people. He thinks that he owns Daniel, um, Azariah, Mishael, and Hananiah. But what we see in the next few chapters is that God absolutely humbles Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, in chapter 4, right at the end, he humbles him to the point that this is what Nebuchadnezzar says about the God of Israel. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right, and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. That's quite a big transformation, isn't it? And then to add to that, we've got the situation with Daniel. What we see at the end of our chapter 1 is that he ruled until the first year of, the, of King Cyrus. Now, King Cyrus it wasn't a king of Babylonia. He was a king of Persia. So Daniel and his ruling outlasted the whole of the Babylonian empire. So God has big influence over your leaders. How can we believe that and live it out in our day-to-day -day lives? I think that the main thing is that we need to pray for our leaders. And I'm not just talking about Boris, I'm talking about like your, your boss or your teacher. Um, I'm saying that when they're going through really good times that we can pray in celebration for that and that we can pray to God for comfort for them when they're going through really tough times. And if they don't know him already, then we can pray that one day they will come to live life to the full and, and know Jesus. So I think that's, that's really important. So we've got Daniel, his heart belonged fully to God, and God had influence over his leaders. Now I think that when we live in that same way that Daniel did, it can start off, it can kick off this wonderful chain reaction. Because when we give our hearts fully to God, we accept that Jesus died for our sins and that he's our saviour. We give our hearts fully to God. It enables us to live distinctively. And when we do that, God backs us up straight away and he influences the people in charge of us and that gives us space and permission to live even more distinctively so you get this cycle where you have a bigger and bigger impact on the people around you and the world around you
So I just want to encourage you today to try to live like Daniel and see what God does with that obedience, see what fruit he brings from our obedience. I'm just going to pray to end. Father God, thank you for the example of Daniel in the Bible. Thank you that he dared to live differently and that in a time where your nation looked so weak, it was the beginning of something so strong. I pray that we could dare to be different and live distinctively and see you backing us up by influencing the people around us. In Jesus' name, amen.